Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Good to, good to be here. We're getting ready to step into what I think is one of the best weeks of the year together. Uh, it's called our week of prayer, and it's where we experience a time of both a prayer and fasting. And it is a dream of mine, really a dream of all the elders, uh, that this wouldn't be just for you know those who really like to do it or the spiritual ones, but this is an everybody thing. Uh, it's through the prayers of many that God delivers people. And that the Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of God is likened to have a river, and life is way better when the, you just don't simply hear sermons about the river, but like you jump in and get in the river. Like the river looks scary, it, it's moving, it's fat. what's, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? But hey, this is where life is, and there's a couple things that are going to fight against you in your decision to participate. And one of those was addressed last week, and that is your unbelief. And what I mean by that is that this is for someone else. This is for someone else. Last week, we, we learned about this Syrophoenician woman who had everything going against her from a religious perspective. She was the wrong race, the wrong culture, the wrong gender. She was at the wrong time, at the wrong place. But one of the things that we learned is that she did not pursue God based on her goodness. She pursued God based upon his goodness. And that's what we do. We pursue God based upon his goodness. And one of the things that I hope breaks free in your life is the unbelief that this is for someone else. It is not for someone else. It is absolutely for you. And, and these weeks can not only be some of the most powerful weeks of the year for you personally and us as a community, but they really do become just that a mirror for how we see our relationship with God. If your view of your relationship with God is you learn concepts and you have duties to perform and, and you, know, you just kind of stand back and watch, but don't see God as someone to be experienced, to be related to, that he is a rewarder of those who pursue him. Uh, if you don't see God that way, you'll fall back into, I mean, quite simply being a religious person. And it's just like one of the worst things that can happen to you. And I don't want that to happen to you. Uh, I don't want my kids to grow up in a church that turns out religious people. I want them to be Jesus-loving, kingdom-seeking, flesh-crucifying, spirit-empowered witnesses of the grace of God who actually believe that Jesus is better, that he's better than a job, that he's better than a vacation, he's better than anything, he's even better than food or social media or whatever it is that you would give up, but he is one to be pursued, and that in that pursuit, it's not just that it's the right thing to do, but you will be rewarded, that you will experience something better. And that's why we do it. And I hope that you do this with us together as a community. We have no interest here at Jubilee Church. We have no interest at Jubilee Church of simply being a vendor of religious goods and services. No matter how good they may be, I know the preaching's amazing. And I know, I get it. I get it. I get it. I really do. I feel you. Uh, but that's not, or services, or kids, or youth, or even community. But it's really about Jesus has invited into us into a life. And, and, and actually, one of the things, we learned that in this text. There's, there's something that you may not pick up on that you kind of have to read the Bible, re read this text, read it over, read it over again, and maybe have a map to fully appreciate this. 
Um, but this starts, the story starts off that not everything that's written in the gospel, um, let me say it this way, that, it's, uh, that the gospels are written for a specific purpose, and that is that you would believe, but that isn't the whole point of the story. And here's what I mean. So in verse 31, it says that he returned from the region of Tyre. And so we left off last week, the woman, the, uh, the Syrophoenician woman was from Tyre, and then he, he moves up northeast into Sidon, to this, and then he goes around back southeast to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And basically, he, he, he makes this trip almost like this, big, almost like this big horseshoe. Like if you were going to go to Indianapolis, for those who understand your Midwestern geography, and you went through Chicago to get to Indianapolis, so like that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. And um, Jesus, that was some 120 miles that he walked and we actually don't know what he was doing. Why am I bringing this up? Well, I'm bringing this up for this reason. In John 20, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the things that are in the book, the stories that we do read in Matthew and going through this and what we're gonna hear today, the reason why they are here is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. That's why the, the things that we have, there's one reason why we have them, is so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ. The four authored God, uh, biographies of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, were written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But I've got news for you. That's just the beginning. Belief in God is the doorway that's meant to lead to something else. What is that something else? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Some people say, I all know about Jesus because I read the gospels, I read the Bible. Well, the Bible just told you there's more to know about Jesus, even in his 33 years, than what's in the Bible. That there's something else to experience with Jesus. That belief in God is just the beginning. If you believe in God, praise God that you believe in him. I'm grateful for that. That is the doorway. Don't stand in the doorway. Walk through the doorway until I almost stopped, walked off the stage. That would have been a memorable thing you could have talked about at lunch. Walk through that doorway and experience life. Do you believe that he is rewarder of those who pursue him? Yes. Well, walk through the door. Do you believe that he wants to meet with you? Do you believe he's everything that he said he is? Then walk through that doorway and experience life. That's what we do when we come together like we are this week for the week of prayer, is we are not, we are not simply saying that belief in God is all that there is. There's actually a life he wants to lead us into. And I want you to experience that. I don't want you to miss out. My kids and I are reading a book called Practicing the Presence by a guy named Brother Lawrence. And uh, it's 300 years old, and it has some things in there that are hard to get. Uh, I mean, he refers to God as being delicious. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do with that. But, <laughs> I, but <laughs> there's something to experience in him um, that I hope that you would experience. Verse 30 of Matthew 15, we, we read two, there are parallel accounts, and I'll explain here why in a second. In, in, in the Matthew account, 
It says, and great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Underline that in your Bible, many, many, many. He, he uh, was after many, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Now, Mark gives us a detail of one of the many, which is unusual for Mark. And when you read the gospel of Mark, it is, he's very to the point. It reads like an action, action movie. Like he just, it's all action. It, there's very little, uh, de- there's not much detail. You get more detail in the other gospels. But in Mark, he wrote this one down and, and it says in verse 32 of Mark 7, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, which simply means he probably wasn't, he wasn't born with this. It was something that happened to him. It wasn't that he couldn't say anything. He just could not speak clearly. And they begged him, that is his friends, to lay his hands on them. In this story, there's a friend in need. Now on the service, this seems like an obvious observation. A friend has some problems and his friends bring him to Jesus to fix it. It seems like an obvious observation Except if you're like me, I always don't do that. I, when people come to me with a problem, I try to fix it. Unless it's my wife, of course, and then I listen. <laughs> people come to me with a problem, my go-to is I fix it if I can, I shrug my shoulders if I can't. If it's a good day, I empathize. But these guys do... What I should do and what we should do is that when our friends have a need is that we get them in front of Jesus. There's a lot of good things we can do with our friends when they're hurting. Man, we we should empathize. We should listen. We should serve them. But ultimately, we need to bring them to Jesus. And in this story, these friends bring this guy to Jesus. He bring him to Jesus because only Jesus can fix this problem. And for all we know, this man has no interest. I mean, you have no idea. Like, he may not even have any interest in being there. He has maybe no idea why he's even there. But his friends do, and his friends bring him. It's a reminder to us that we can play a role in the life of our friends when they're hurting, when they have a need, to lead them to Jesus, whether they have interest in that or not. You may know people, in fact, because we're going to pray for people this week at the week of prayer, people to be healed, people to be set free, and all kinds of other great things. You may know someone who needs this. And one of the roles that you can play this week, perhaps today, is to grab them by the arm and say, let us go to Jesus. Let us go to the feet of Jesus. It can happen today at the end of uh, our services. We pray for people all the time. You, you know, the call forth goes forth for prayer. You see a friend, you're like, man, I know they need prayer for this. You may need to be the person that goes over there and say, hey, let's go together. And I'll tell everyone it's me, so you can stay, you know, whatever. I don't know. But we, these friends begged Jesus. They were persistent in it. We want to be persistent in pursuing Jesus. Prayer, coming together in prayer, after every services, in our community groups, all around the city. You just want to be persistent in it. It's kind of a common theme in the Bible that faith expressed through the persistence of friends is what brings people healing. It's not always the faith of the person being healed. Sometimes it's the friends and you have a role. Don't give up on that role. And if you don't have a community of people who would be so bold to do this, may I suggest that you need a community of people like this 
there are times in my life where I don't always want to go to Jesus. I know I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to, but I always don't want to do it. I have friends who will say, Brian, you know what to do and you don't want to do it. So let's do it together. Verse 33. This is where it gets a little weird. Last week was offensive. This week is weird. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting and without Perella, mind you, touched his tongue. Jesus is wildly popular at this point. He's in this region called Decapolis and, uh, and he, Jesus did many things here. One of which, you remember the pig story where like this, this guy was demon possessed and, he, and he, the demons were like, hey, don't send us out of the region of Decapolis. Um, don't send us out of this region. And he's like, okay, fine, go to the pigs. And he sends, this, sends these demons into the pigs. That's this region. So he, everybody knows Jesus is the guy to go to. And this guy's here. He probably doesn't even know what's going on or even why he's here. You know, his friend's like, hey, let's go get some coffee. And then they show up to church. It's like, what? And you, maybe that's you today. And Jesus pulls this guy aside privately and begins to address him privately in the midst of this crowd. And again, one of the things that can get easily lost in, in a reading like this or, or in the scripture like this is the simple, profound reality of just how much you matter to Jesus. This story is such a lesson and such a amazing reminder of how much you matter. Because sometimes you can read the life of Jesus and his ministry, and sometimes it feels like going to Jesus is like going to the DMV. You know, you show up, you grab a number, and there's a crowd of people until you, you know, it's your turn, it's like next. Disciples are there with a clipboard, you know, can I get your name and disease for the record? And like, and then you show up, and then it's your turn. It's like Jesus almost looks exhausted and worn out. And that's not the picture at all. Every person that he healed, the many people that he healed, every single one of them mattered to him. And in this story, we see just how much each person mattered. Jesus wants you and I to know that he has time for you. I don't know who needs to hear this. I don't know who you are or what you've done, but he has time for you. Oh, he's, you know, he's holding the universe by his hands. I'm sure he has better thing to do than my little squat with my mom. No, Jesus has time. The Bible is so clear. He stands at the door and he's knocking. He is waiting. He would love to chat with you about your mom. He would love that. He, it says that he, he holds our tear. He collects our tears in a bottle. He knows it all. And he wants to connect with you over it. Your friends may not have time for you. They mean well, but they may not have time for you. Your family may not have time for you. But even though your mother and your father forsake you, Jesus will never, ever, 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 ever forsake you. He cares for you. 
And it's like the complete opposite. I think what I would do, like, pull, I mean, there's crowds of people. I would, if I was getting ready, to, if you and I were getting ready to do what Jesus was getting ready to do in this man's life, we would not do it privately. I'd be like, hey, get everybody, get your phones. You got to see what I'm getting ready to do here. Make sure you get my handle right, you know, at underscore the Messiah. But anyway, like get, get it right. But he takes them aside privately. And I think there's a real reason for that. Imagine being this guy growing up. He was probably spent his life being a spectacle and not in a good way. I mean, he could talk, but it was all garbled. I mean, imagine growing up in the playground in an oral culture, we don't read, you can't, there's no reading, there's no writing, it's all oral. In a religious context where everybody believed that this happened to you because you sinned or your parents sinned, so nobody had sympathy for you. And you can't hear them making fun of you, but you can see it. This guy lived his life as a spectacle. And Jesus did not just see the surface of his need, but he saw down into the depths of his heart and he began to do some things to demonstrate how much he saw that and he wanted to emotionally connect with this man. So he pulls him aside, but he doesn't connect him with him at an emotional level, but actually at a cognitive level as well speaking to him in ways that he can understand. Why is he sticking his fingers in his ear where he can't hear? And why was he putting his finger on his mouth that could not speak? He did not need to touch this man to heal him. If you've read through the Gospels, you've seen Jesus heal plenty of people with just the words that come out of his mouth, be healed. Sometimes he wasn't even in the room. In fact, last week that happened, didn't it? This woman's child was healed, and Jesus was just like, hey, I know she's home wherever she is. Just go home. She's already healed. Why was he touching his ears and his mouth? It's that he wanted to connect. It didn't exist, but he was doing sign language. He was saying, I'm going to do something about this. And I'm going to do something about this. Now let's look to God together. I want you to know that I see this and your father sees this. And let's do this together. Jesus is drawing something out of this man, just like he drawed something out of this woman last week, drawing out her faith. This week, he's drawing out the isolation and being different and no one cares. Jesus wanted this man to know that he mattered. If you're a note taker, I don't know if you're taking notes. I'm not offended if you're not, but if you are, write this in your notes. I matter to Jesus. I matter to Jesus. No matter what you've done or who you are, you matter to Jesus. He is not too busy to listen to connect, to identify. 
Hebrews is so clear. He is our sympathetic high priest, which means he understands everything that we are going through and have gone through. And because he is our sympathetic high priest, when we struggle, when we are afraid, when we need healing, we don't have to run from him, but we can run to him. He is our ever-present help in time of need. Now, if I was to ask you if you believe in Jesus, when you came, if you don't believe in Jesus, maybe this question doesn't apply. But if you are a Christian here, and I was to ask you, do you matter to God? Intellectually, you know that you matter to God. But do you, do you know that really? Because if we did, you know what we would do? We would run to him. We would pursue him. We would, we would get after him, knowing that his goodness, that he's not too busy for us, that he cares about us, that he wants to, he wants to speak to us. Jeremiah says, and the prophet Jeremiah in the 33rd chapter says, there are great things. If you call out to me, I would tell you great things and hidden things. He knows the hidden things about you. The things that other people know, and the things that no one knows but you. And he knows exactly how to get to your heart, and he wants to do that. And so with this knowledge that, that I matter, when we really believe this and we, we pursue him and we pursue him in worship, we pursue him in prayer, we just pursue, pursue, pursue. And then we have this realization like, well, if I matter to God, Everybody in the world matters to God too, which is one of the greatest ministries that we have is to let people know with both our actions and our words that you matter to Jesus, that you matter. It's why it's so important that we don't just evangelize our communities, but we serve our communities. It's what these backpacks are all about. And, and, and I'm gonna let you in on Something I did, and, and maybe you can relate to this, because this is what happens when we do things like this. Um, you see the backpacks, you see the appeal, you see the setup in the lobby, but you don't see the kids. And when you see the backpack and you see the, and you see the appeal, this becomes an errand. I'm going to get a backpack it's going to be a few bucks, a little bit of time. I don't have time this week. Maybe I'll have time next week. And, and you'll do it, but it'll be an errand. Um, can I just let you know that this is way bigger than that? That what's behind these backpacks is a desire to communicate to a child who may or may not have a good home life, who may or may not be doing well in school, who may not or may not be doing relationally. This is an opportunity to tell that child they matter to God and they matter to us. Don't treat things like this like another Aaron because this is what we communicate, which is why we view God this way. You have a need. God's busy. He's holding the universe in line. He's got other things to do. I don't want to add to his list. 
Because when things like this come up, it just adds to your list. When in reality, it's way more profound than that. It's an opportunity to communicate just how much they matter to God and how much they matter to you. In case you've never heard this, young person, you matter to God, just in case. And you matter to me. There's other opportunities. All of our groups are, are you know, committed to serving the community in some way. It's a big reason why we do J Friends. If you're unfamiliar with J Friends, it's a, it's a, it's a way of reaching out and connecting with families who have children with special needs. And we made alterations to our building and our, and our Sunday morning to do this. And it's a community of people um, that quite embarrassingly uh, for the church has been ignored. Very, a very low, a disproportionate amount of people who have families with special needs don't attend services. I mean, it's like 2% low. Um, we're doing this because we want people to know that they matter. They matter to God. It's not always convenient. It's not always efficient. But we are wanting to embrace a vision of Jesus that we know for ourselves that we know that God has put on our hearts and branded on our minds that I matter. And through that revelation that I matter to him, the world matters to him. And it's played out practically in ways like this. So Jesus identifies with this man emotionally and cognitively, but there's a deeper identification that's going on here that makes this healing possible. Mark 7, and looking up to heaven, which is, just as a side note, he didn't have to do this. Jesus is always demonstrating something. And what is he demonstrating? He's demonstrating dependence on the Father. What is dependence on the Father? How do I express dependence on the Father? Is I pray. It's a language of dependence. It's why when you feel the most out of control, like when someone you love is sick or dying, you pray you shout, you wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. You don't care what ha- who sees or what happens. You are praying. You are praying because you feel dependent. Well, why don't you, why don't we pray more often? We feel independent. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something here. It's not, it's dependent upon the Father. We're dependent on the Father, so we pray. And then he sighs. The real translation is he moans. It's almost like, okay, Jesus, you were doing so well to like emotionally connect, but now you're, mo- I mean, he knows he's getting ready to like make this guy, he's, this is the most amazing thing that's ever going to happen in his life. And he's moaning. You would think he'd be like, just wait and see what I'm going to do for you. (laughs) But he's moaning. Is he moaning because 
He's connecting with the guy's disappointment in life, perhaps. But it's deeper than that. In fact, this, this section, for many different reasons, Greek language, and, and you'll see here in a minute, is really a huge cross-reference to a passage in Isaiah 35, which Mark here is trying to communicate to his listeners that, that this guy's the one. And you'll see here in a minute. In Isaiah 35, it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. Now, the reason why they were anxious and they were afraid is because Isaiah had just been prophesying like doom and gloom. I mean, if you go read, especially the, you know, Isaiah 34, it's just like, man, this world is going to be a wasteland. The rivers are going to turn into tar and it's going to be, it's desolation. He says, but, but don't have an anxious heart. Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come and save you. See if this sounds familiar. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He's saying, hey, look, the blind's receiving their sight. The crippled are jumping for joy. The mute are speaking. The deaf are hearing. This is the guy but it's more than that because it's how does this happen? Well, Isaiah says it happens through divine retribution. But where in the Gospels do we see Jesus saving by divine retribution? I mean, actually, it's the opposite. He says, Peter, put away your sword. That's not what I'm about. He, he didn't come to assert himself in power. In fact, he gave it all away. He didn't come to make servants. He became a servant. So where does Jesus come with divine retribution? Because he's saying the Messiah is going to come and all these great things are going to happen. He's going to set people free and he's going to do it through divine retribution. Well, the obvious answer to that is that Jesus did not come to bring divine retribution. He came to bear divine retribution. And the reason why he's moaning and sighing is because he knows it's coming. He knew what it would cost him to say to this man, be free. Be free. It wasn't just that he was identifying with this man emotionally or cognitively. He was identifying with this man on the cross and you and I with our morality. And spiritually, he was identifying us morally and spiritually, which is to say that he was on the cross becoming and bearing the divine retribution that you and I deserve. And this is why he's able to say, be open. This is why you can come to him and have confidence that he wants to heal you because he went all the way to the cross to make this happen. He's pretty serious about it, in other words. He wants you to be free. He wants to, if you are anxious, he wants to set you free. 
If you have a physical problem, he wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from whatever it is that is weighing you down. He wants to set you free. So what do we learn from this? Well, he saves many, but he saves many individually. He wants to do this for many, many, many people. And he's going to do it in some of the most unique ways. Second Samuel 14, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered. Have you ever tried, have you ever spilled anything on the ground, liquid, and tried to pick it up? Doesn't work too well, does it? So we must die. In other words, it's what death is like. But this is not what God desires. God doesn't want that to happen to you. So he devises ways so that the banished ones would not remain an outcast. God knows exactly what you need, more than you knew what you need. And he's going to do it in many different ways. And this is what this story teaches, the uniqueness of his pursuit of us. And he'll do it for you if you'll let him. He devises ways. He's, he's, he's after you. I mean, it's interesting with, well, I'll skip that. And it's why we need community. I mean, we all need friends in our life that will tell us, hey, this is a problem that, that God needs to handle. And we need people to take us by the arms and bring us to him. Could I have the band come up? And we can all stand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, He delivered us from a deadly peril. He will deliver us again. On him we will set our hope, and he will deliver us again. Okay, so God is a deliverer. He's going to deliver us. Yay! Then he's, this is his appeal, and this is my appeal to you, but, but also you must help us by prayer so that many, so that many will give thanks in our behalf for the blessing granted through us, granted us through the prayers, not of the spiritually elite, but the prayers of many. God wants to deliver you and wants to deliver people in the city. He's gonna do it through the prayers of many and many will rejoice. And that's actually what happens in Mark 7. Mark 7 says, then his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but that never works. Because the more they, he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. God, we declare that you do all things well. That you are the... You are the one, you are the only one who with integrity can say, everybody matters to me. And Jesus, you've identified us so many levels, but, but that you would identify with our sin, that you would become our sin so that we could, we can be in relationship with you. God, I just pray right now. I wanna pray right now for every person in this room, that you would write on their mind and on their heart, I matter to Jesus. God, by your spirit right now, will you 
write with permanent marker on our minds and on our hearts, I matter to Jesus. And God, with this knowledge that we have this new identity and this knowledge that you are the Christ, that you are our salvation, God, we would walk through that doorway and walk into a life of experiencing you and engaging you and declaring to all the world that you matter to Jesus, that he is the one who gives sight to the blind. He gives hearing to the deaf and he will make the crippled dance with joy. You have come to set us free. Lord, put that, put that deep in our hearts. Protect us from mere concepts and religious duties and running errands. Help us to be your community that gives witness to your grace and mercy.